Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This delightful program is brought to you by Squarespace. Beautiful websites for beautiful beverages like kombuchadog.com. I guess kombucha means black mushroom tea, but it's much more fun to say kombucha. Like chicken chimichanga. I never really wanted chimichanga. I just like to ask, how's the chicken chimichanga? There are two takeaways from what Alec Baldwin just said. One, the show is brought to you by Squarespace. And two, Alec Baldwin called our show delightful. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there with post-nasal drip of some sort. And that makes uh, this Stuff You Should Know. It makes this room the infection zone. Oh, Jerry, are you sick? No, she's not sick. Are you? No. Good. She's just snotty. That's fine, as long as she's not sick. Are you sick? No, man. How are you feeling? Great? Good. You're tired. Are you? Yeah. Well, you're a dad. No. All, all dads are tired, aren't they? No. Uh-huh. That has nothing to do with it. Oh, yeah? No. Why are you tired? Just uh, didn't get enough sleep last night. Okay. But not because dad stuff. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Everybody. How's that for building a wall? <laughs> Let's back away from that question, shall we? Instead, Chuck, take my hand and let's wander off into the forest. Uh, this is pretty neat, i got to say. <clears throat> I was excited about this because, A, it's dense. Like a forest? B, it's cool. Like a forest? <laughs> and C, it provides a great canopy over our heads. It does. A canopy of knowledge. Yeah, I reverse engineered that last one. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was uh, like, man, he is on a roll we're, today. We're going to get a few, we're going to get some stuff wrong on this one. I don't know if that's correct. I feel like anytime we tackle something that's in any industry like this, the people in that industry are going to have way better current information than we will. So I think it's funny because I picked up on the same thing, not just with the industry, but also with the battle over. Yeah. Um, forestry rights this is a minefield my friend it really is because i i this this um article was written a number of years back and is very friendly to the forestry industry yeah it's not like extraordinarily conservation minded um as far as i'm concerned yeah well i I don't think i don't think (laughs) i had a drop a bombshell no i don't think i had a slant Um, I, i saw it as pretty neutral i don't know man like um but here's how confused I was, and we'll get to this later, but these initiatives and certification programs that uh-huh. we'll get to later, I-, I didn't know like which one I should like and not like at the end. I can tell you. Well, save it. Okay, all right. 
Because I need somebody to tell me what to like and not like. I can tell you. Just save it. All right, I'm saving it. All right. Let's talk about forests in general, Chuck. Yes. Uh, Well, let's talk about our country a little bit. The Um, United States. Well, even more. Let's talk about our continent. Okay, North America. That's right. Uh, When settlers came over here, there was a lot of trees. There were a lot of trees. Do you remember in our pigeon episode, like the idea that there are so many, what was it, passenger pigeons that that died off that were just driven to extinction because of humans? I'm pretty sure it was passenger pigeons. I got confused in the episode about which pigeons Well, it was a very confusing thing. And they think that ultimately the pigeons had been managed by Native Americans who were wiped out by disease so that when the first Europeans really came along, they saw tons of pigeons places overrun with pigeons because there was no one there to, to hunt anymore, right? Yeah. Same thing with the forest. They think there was so much forest cover that it was because the Native Americans who had managed the forest before right. had all died off, right. or largely died off, and then what we thought was just this crazy stretch of forest that had always been there was actually fairly new. Yeah. But it's probably not the case. Well, at any rate, uh, way back in the 1600s, about 40% of land north of Mexico was trees. Yeah. Not too bad. No, that's a lot of trees. Uh, and trees are great because they give us wood. I mean, they led to, uh, you know, pre-metal, it was all about wood. Yeah. You know, ships, buildings, houses, well, wagons. W- William Harris, who wrote this article, yeah, he makes the, the very smart point that we came and cut down trees and basically built a, a new nation. Yeah. Certainly a new economy. Several new wood. nations. Out of wood, definitely, for sure. Like literally out of wood. Uh, if you're talking the world and planet Earth, uh, about 30% uh, is forest land, and uh, Russia and Brazil lead the way because they have huge tracts of land. Yeah, but as a continent, actually, Europe is the most. They have the most forest of any continent. The most dense, I believe that. They have 1,001 million, which is a little over a billion hectares. Hectares, uh, 0.4 acres, right? Sure. And the total number of acreage, if you're in the U.S., of forest land throughout the world, 1.58 billion acres of forests. Uh, is that the most broad definition of a forest? That includes everything. And that's in the U.S.? No, no, no. That's the world. 1.58 billion oh, acres okay. in, in the world. Gotcha. Yeah. Because in the U.S., there, if you if you talk to a forester, they will say... Everyone thinks that you see a bunch of trees and that's a forest, but they would narrow down that definition to at least one acre right. uh, of land, which has at least 10% tree cover. That's a pretty, that's a good definition for a forest. <laughs> I'm on board with that. Well, if you're talking that definition, then the U.S. Uh, has about 750 million acres, uh, 766 in Canada. Yep. And uh, that's, that's forest, my friend. Boom, we're done. Yeah. It was a minefield, but we navigated it. But this is about timber, and that's different than forest. It is different than forest. So a forest is that definition that you just said. It's an acre of land with 10% tree cover, right? Yep. Timberland is a type of forest land, but it has to have a certain amount of uh, usable um, trees on it or timber to make it timberland, right? Yes. I grew up in a forest, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, yeah? By that definition. Nice. What was it called? Well, it's called Chuck's house. <laughs> Chuck's house, forest. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I think we I had we had like an acre and a half. 
And most of it was trees. So the, more than 10%. Oh, yeah, easy. So you had a dense forest. It was pretty dense. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you learn to climb trees out there? No, but I used to get poked fun at because I didn't grow up in a, a neighborhood like most kids. It was just a street with like six houses in the forest. Who would make fun of you for that? What were they saying? Well, you know, it's cool to grow up in a neighborhood when in the 80s. Hey, man, I grew up in a neighborhood in the 80s. It wasn't that great. I was jealous, man, because everyone else would sneak out at night to then go to their friend's house, and there were swimming pools and tennis courts and Movie community stars. centers, and it was just like me and my brother in woods. But I guess I can. See I got that. older, and everyone was like, "Dude, your house is awesome. You live out in the middle of the woods." Yeah. Well, plus you were lucky to have your brother to hang out with. He's a great guy. True. Yeah. Good point. So, <laughs> you know, I had a, a door that led out to the back porch. When yeah. I was growing up. It's like, there's no sneaking out. I just opened the door and went out from my room. Your to the parents outside. were just like, go ahead. Come, uh, come and go as you please. Uh, no. I wasn't supposed to, but right, right. there wasn't a lot of sneaking involved. There was opening the door and quietly closing it. You didn't have to. I always wanted to shimmy up a drain pipe to my room. Have you shimmying up? Or down. Down's a lot easier than up. I could have shimmied when I was 10 or 12, though. <laughs> ain't, ain't no shimmying anymore. We're, so... People have sent in that guideposts cover. Is that you? No. Okay. It, it, it's just some other kid panel. from 1984 playing the trumpet. Yeah, I never played the trumpet. And oh, I, I never wore blue blocker sunglasses either. It doesn't look like you, but I was like... No, and it may not have been a four-piece picture, but I think it was. Okay. Someone will find it. I hope so. Okay, so let's get back to Timberland. Huh? Yes. Timberland is a forest that's capable of growing something like 20 cubic feet of commercial wood per acre Per year. That's right. That's it. Uh, and um, people estimate two-thirds of our nation is forest land, uh, and 502 million acres of that is timberland. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad at all. No. So the key here, though, is, and this is where the big debate comes up, and we're not going to get into it necessarily now, but the, the key is that, yes, you can have a forest that is capable of growing 20 cubic feet of commercial-grade lumber, timber, a yeah. year. Um, but you also want it to be able to regrow. Yeah, sustainable harvesting. Right. So what you're after is what's called the net annual increase. This article calls it a net annual gain. That's wrong. Yeah. It's a net annual increase, which means that <clears throat> the amount of stuff you're growing in a given year mm -hmm. is more than what you're harvesting. What's the difference between a gain and an increase? I'm just saying the industry term. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I looked up net industry gain, or yeah, net annual gain. And they said, you must be city folk. Right. Idiot. It's yeah. increase. <laughs> uh, so the, you just, basically it's pretty simple. You just want to take less trees than you're growing in a particular year, or that you have, than you have in, the, in reserve. Yeah. And, um, actually the United States, is has been in a net annual gain for for decades now. Yeah, like it's a it's a real concern and it's a cause for worry that we over over harvest trees. Well, we used to man that we deforest. But if you look at the historical data, yeah, we are growing more trees than we're taking um, every year. Yeah, I think uh, the stat was since the nineteen since nineteen twenty, we haven't made anything worse. Right, and apparently, and since the fifties, we've gotten way better. I, I think like the four times the seventies were like kind of bad, but I think that was like the the tr transition decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What m this made me really appreciate were early conservationists. Yeah, like in Teddy this Roosevelt. Yeah, because post Civil War and during pre Civil War, even 
uh, people just sort of took what they wanted and did what they wanted with the land. Yeah. Th- there wasn't a lot of foresight. And so early conservationists were really fighting an uphill battle back then, I think. So I just have a lot of respect for them I do to too. say, you know what? I don't know if this is smart. What's going to happen in a hundred years? It's like, a, I know yeah. you need your log cabin, Jebediah. What's mind-boggling to me is that that debate still goes on. Yeah, that's true. You know? But uh, not even just with timber, with, like, climate in general, oh, climate yeah. change, things like that. Agreed. Uh, all right, so if you're a scientist, you're going to classify forests usually by what kind of trees are there. Um, for instance, a tropical rainforest. You're going to have broadleaf evergreens, a boreal forest. You're going to have uh, needleleaf evergreens. Then there's the temperate forest, which is like what we have here in the southeast. Yeah, and in the U.S. there are five uh, major regions, Pacific Coast, Rocky Mountain, North-South, and I love it. Alaska has its own region. Yes. Just because it's... It deserves it. And there's a lot of trees up there. Yeah. And in fact, there's been a little bit of a scandal recently as far as Alaska and trees go. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you going to, is that a tease? It's a tease. Okay. Uh, but we're going to consider a couple of regions here, and we're going to mainly be talking about the United States because that's where we live. Yeah, but there are trees everywhere. Yeah. And you can <laughs> apply this to a lot of places. But uh, east of the old Mississippi uh, is the hardwood region, and west is softwood. And uh, if you're talking hardwood, you, gums, maples, oaks, walnut, very hardwood, walnut. Mahogany? Then, uh, is, mahog- is mahogany in there? Actually, now I think about it, I think mahogany is a um, tropical rainforest tree. Is it? Yeah, I'm an idiot. All right. No, you're not. That's what I get for coming up with something on my own. <laughs> uh, softwoods, you're talking pine, um, spruce, hemlock, Douglas fir, redwoods. Those are softwoods. Sure. And we're just getting started. There's a lot of information coming your way. Should we take a break here? Should we? I don't know. It sounded like you were working up toward that. That was a breaky setup, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about why wood is good. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 251292887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 
300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right. What is good? Because you can use it for lots of stuff, which we'll talk about. And I didn't realize this, that we've been using it for a very long time. At least one and a half million years, right? Starting with fire and like clubs and yeah did you realize that we'd harnessed fire that many years ago uh, i don't know if i really thought about it that's a long time for people to yeah. be building fires a million and a half years ago yeah that that completely reshaped my ideas of hominids from 1.5 million years ago what did you think about them before not that they could create fire they're a bunch of cold dopes a little bit <laughs> Now, maybe that they just kind of may do with what came their way rather than actually making fire, you know? Yeah. yeah. We should do a podcast on the, the origins of fire. We did do one on fire. Yeah, but I don't think we covered, like, the first fires, did we? Or did we? Uh, probably not. Yeah. I think I've since seen Quest for Fire, which we've talked about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good movie. Uh, uh, I kind of want to talk about my favorite part, but this is a family podcast, so I won't. Yeah, there's, it's pretty <laughs> brutal in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so why is wood good? Um, like I said, you can make stuff out of it. Another big thing is uh, carbon sequestration, which is why you hear a lot of people battling clear-cutting forests, because uh, carbon sequestration is great. It traps carbon, so the buildup of uh, CO2 is reduced. Yeah, as a matter of fact, trees account for 70% of the organic carbon locked in the earth. Yeah, that's why that canopy is is important. Right. Uh, they also provide habitats for all our animals and uh, birds and insects and all the plants and good things yeah. that we love. And uh, the hydrologic cycle. So uh, a forest will help soak up rainfall and filter the water. Uh, as it becomes groundwater. All very important stuff. Yeah, if you like drinking water, you can thank trees for helping keep the soil in tip-top shape to uh, filter out all that nasty stuff. Yeah. So, yes, forests are extraordinarily important, right? What is good. But you also can make pretty good use of it, too. Like, sure. um, if you're a clever primate like we humans are, you can not only use it for fire... Which a lot of people still do around the world. Firewood is still a um, huge um, use of wood, yeah. of uh, timber around no, the world. Nothing beats a natural wood fire in a fireplace in your home. No, it's true. You know, but um, do you remember when we were when we shot those Toyota those Toyota videos at um, Carnegie Mellon? Oh yeah. And one of the innovation things was like a, a filter, like an easy, cheap, portable filter for cooking fires, yeah. indoor cooking fires. I remember that. Because that was a big problem. People mm-hmm. were like make it using wood fires to cook with, but they were doing it yeah. indoors and like suffering all sorts of lung problems. Yeah, and that still happens in uh, you know, non-industrialized nations. Yes. Is that what we call things? It's the, it says it's the, prim- it's the primary fuel for cooking and heating in developing countries. Right. 
non-industrialized. I think that's even better. All right. So uh, here in the U.S., though, and in a lot of uh, countries these days, only 7% of timber is used for, uh, I guess, heating and cooking. Yeah, and there's a big push against even that 7%, too. Really? Yeah, it's just such a... I agree with you. I love that having fire, fire, fire fireplace. Nice, but it's wasteful? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't have a working fireplace, so I just like them. You just like the idea of it. Well, I want one, but I have one of those old, you know, houses from the 1930s that it's expensive to get it retrofitted. Have you ever gotten an estimate on it? Yeah, I need chimney work. I need a bigger <laughs> firebox. They, they said something like eight or ten grand. The guy, like, tried to talk me out of it. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the dude, I was like, you don't want to make money? Yeah. It's like, I want a fire. And you're like, oh, I don't know, it's pretty expensive. <laughs> I wouldn't. It's like, all right. It's wasteful. Uh, so 7% goes toward that. Uh, lumber, which we'll get to in a minute, is about 53% in the U.S. of timber. Yeah. And most of that goes to new house construction, it turns out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, pulp and paper are 32%. And then uh, composites like plywood and veneer are the other seven. Right. Although I think we're missing one percentage point, aren't we? Or are we? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I wonder what that is. It's the mystery percent. <laughs> the mystery percent. God knows what they're doing to that 1% of wood. Uh, all right. So I said the word lumber. And lumber isn't just cut wood. No, just like timberland isn't just forest. Yeah. No. Forest isn't just timberland. Right. Lumber is actually a specific thing. It is wood that is squared or rectangular. So when you go to the the hardware store Mm -hmm. and you see all the two-by-fours and two-by-sixes and all that stuff, that is lumber because it is square. If you point to a post, a round post, and go... Give me three of the lumbers. <laughs> They'll say, boy, where'd you come from? Yeah, you're wrong on a couple of points here. So that's called round wood, actually. Yeah. That doesn't in- that, that's not included in lumber. That's a little nitpicky if you're outside the industry, I think. Say, I agree with you, you know? wholeheartedly. But if, if someone points that out, then, I don't know, punch them in the face with a two by four. Right. That's not, that's not lumber. That's round wood. <laughs> Remember uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Didn't he attack people with a 2x4 in the WWF? I didn't watch a ton of wrestling. I'm pretty sure he had like a 2x4. That makes sense. It's violent. Uh, Construction, it's about a 50-50 split with lumber um, in the U.S. About half goes to construction and about half goes to uh, pallets, crates, and furniture. Yeah. No, I I didn't know it would be that high. I read... An extraordinarily interesting article on the pallet trade. Oh, I'm sure it's... There's like a whole cartel controlling pallets that people rebel against. And um, there's like pallet thieves and counterfeiters. Yeah. It's a really interesting article. I'll see if I can find it. I'll post it in the podcast page for this. Well, pallets, you can can make a lot of cool things out of pallets. And a lot of people are finding other uses. So they think you can just go behind the grocery store and take them. Sure. So now a lot of places have big signs that are like, do not take these pallets. No, especially if they're blue. Like, that's stealing. If they're blue pallets, yeah. you you can get the place where you stole them from sued. Yeah, that's the saying. If the pallet is blue, it's not for you. Because you'll get sued. That's right. Uh, furniture. Uh, if you make furniture, you're going to like hardwood, like oak and maple, because right. it's durable and it has that lovely grain. And mahogany. That we all love so much. Right. 
the softwood is no slouch either. No, but pallets are used in hardwood too because it's sturdy. Right. But uh, yeah, softwood's a different deal. No, and they usually use softwood for construction lumber too. Yeah. Um, because it contains fewer knots and things like that. And actually, softwood is used, Chuck, more for um, construction lumber because it you can make it long and straight, which is, that's how you want your construction lumber, long and straight. Nobody wants like kind of a topsy-turvy house. Uh, yeah. Maybe a crazy person, but most people don't. They want straight plum houses. Yeah, although it's tough if you've ever done a home reno project to find straight lumber these days. Is that right? Yeah, you go in there and they're, they all seem like they're warped and bent. And if really? you're, yeah, and if you're a, a amateur like me, it doesn't help you out any if your lumber's not straight. No, you want straight lumber. Like I don't know how to make up for that. Like my buddy Isaac uh, in Kansas that uh-huh. helped me do my house. Right. He would go pick out stuff, and I would say this is curved. He'd be like, I can account for that. Huh. But I can't. He's got like a special <laughs> organ in his brain. Yeah, it's called smarts. <laughs> Construction carpentry smarts. Okay, so that's lumber, right? Yeah. Um, you can also make paper out of wood. Yeah. This might be the fact of the podcast. You ready for this? Yeah. Paper is made out of wood. Oh, I thought you had something else. No? You got me. Have we done one on paper before? Because this seemed awfully familiar. No, but I will say this touched off like five different topics that we should cover. Okay. Paper being one of them. All right. The origin of fire. Paper. Yeah. What else? Um, deforestation. Okay. In earnest. Yeah. We're going to touch on it, but and then there was a couple more, I think. Okay. Pornography. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so let's talk about the uh, cellular structure of wood, because it's very important. Well, especially when you're talking about paper. Yeah. Like, that was not just a non sequitur. It actually makes sense. <laughs> exactly. So trees. Yeah. Like everything else are made of cells, correct? That's right. And when you take enough of these cells and stack them together, you can create something as strong and tall and rigid as a tree. Yeah. But it takes a certain kind of cell to make a tree. Uh, yeah. The the cells, if you think of the walls of the cells, uh, they make the tree strong. And there are a couple of chemicals that make up these walls. Uh, cellulose and lignin. And cellulose is flexible and bendy. Uh, and lignin says, no, no, I'm your glue, cellulose. I'm going to keep you um, more rigid because I don't want you to bend. Right. So they work together. Yeah. To make Whether it. cellulose likes it or not. Yeah, I always wondered about that. <laughs> it has to go along with it. It's like I wanted to bend, lignin. Get out of my face. Right. Lignin's like, no. No coloring outside the lines. Uh, so if you separate those things, which we've been doing for a long time now, you can get those cellulose fibers and actually make something called pulp, which will eventually make paper. Right. And you can form it into a mat, press and dry it and bleach it and turn it into paper, like you said. You can also make other stuff, too. Um, technically, fiberboard, you know, the stuff that they use to put on the backs of dressers and things these days? Uh, Crud. Yeah. That's actually made from paper pulp. Yeah, or MDF. Wood pulp, I should say. Um, if you're if you're at another hardware store and some guy that works there, lady says, uh, "What you want to use is MDF." What's that? Medium density fiberboard. Okay. And that way they won't think you're city folk. All right. You can say, "Yeah, MDF." Sure. Totally. <laughs> and then they'll know you're city folk. I'll be like, "Give me three of those MDFs." <laughs> uh, and then you have hardboard, and that's even stronger than fiberboard. Uh, and it's just, I think it's harder because it's pressed together with so much pressure. It's 
more dense. Yeah, a fiberboard is pulp and glue pressed, the, <clears throat> pressed together. Hardboard is the same thing, but pressed together, like you said, under pressure. And then uh, completely different, actually, although it does seem like it would bear a pretty striking resemblance, is um, particle board, right? Yes. These are uh, composites. Plywood and particle board are both composites. Right. Uh, but they are different. The difference between MDF and particle board is uh, MDF is, uh, well, particle board is cheaper, and it's made out of sawdust, whereas the MDF is, is made of a actual fiber. Right, out of pulp. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Like, Chuck, you realize that Stuff You Should Know has hit such a stride that we're talking about particle board. <laughs> it just hit me. Uh, plywood is when you take, if you look at plywood and uh, at, on the side of it, mm-hmm. you'll see that it's a lot of little veneers pressed together. Yeah, that's what they're called. Yeah. Veneers. Veneers. And plywood's great, but if you really want something that's just as tough, just as durable, but cheaper, you're going to go for the oriented strand board. OSB, baby. Which is basically like plywood made out of particle board. Yeah, and it's it's all but replaced plywood in construction these days, home construction, because it's cheaper, uh, it is stronger and more durable. And I was wondering why it was stronger, and it's because it comes from, it's right there in the name. It's oriented. The specific orientation of the uh, wood strands mm-hmm. makes makes it stronger. Oh, okay. I so it's you. not just uh, haphazardly tossed together and pressed, I guess. By God. Specifically oriented. Right. Uh, invented in 1963. By these, man. Uh, yeah, in California, I think, actually. Nice. Yeah. So your OSB, if you go into your hardware store and they'll say, you either want MDF or OSB, say, I know what I'm talking about, so don't try and... Don't try and trick me. Right. I didn't just fall off of the turnip truck. <laughs> of the lumber truck. Uh, all right. Where are we now? Are we harvesting yet? Yeah. So to get to this point, to get to all this wonderful products of lumber, timber, sorry. Man, I have a lot of trouble not confusing lumber with timber. That's right. But lumber is timber. Timber is not necessarily lumber. <laughs> right. That's what I was taught as a young boy. So when you harvest timber, there's a couple of approaches, right? And... um well, there's several approaches, but they really fall under two umbrellas. One is the take everything to hell with ecology approach called clear cutting. Yes. That is, all these trees can make some money, ergo, I'm going to cut down all these trees. Yeah, typically over five acres is a clear cut. Yes. Anything under that is called a patch cut. Okay. Although people disagree on that definition, too. But the suggestion is that uh, as under five acres, an area that small could recover being effectively clear-cut? Uh, I'm not sure it has to do with recovery. Oh, it has to do with the amount of money you made? I don't know. I'm not sure. All right. Well, with clear-cutting, you just go in and you cut down everything. It's um, it's pretty straightforward, really. Uh, it takes slightly more thought to come up with a good, uh, what's called a silviculture approach. Silviculture takes into account the idea that you want that area that you cut down to grow back, to renew, so that, again, you hit that um, net annual increase rather than decrease right. to where the amount of trees you have in stock or growing in a particular year is actually more than the amount of trees you harvest that same year. Right. To do that, you have to be selective. You have to be smart in the number, amount, and type of trees you cut down at, during any given uh, tree cut. 
Yeah, uh, with clear cutting, when you hear that, you would just think like, why would anyone argue that that's a good idea? Yeah. Uh, but people do. It's very controversial. Um, if you're in the the timber timber industry, yeah, forestry industry, forestry industry, uh, you can say, um, you will think in good confidence that you can say that clear cutting is fine if you do it the right way. I I don't get that. Yeah, they said that there are seven conditions uh, that if you meet them, then it's actually better. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like propaganda. Do you want me to read the seven yes, conditions? Yes, I do, because uh, I'm interested. <laughs> when regenerating tree species that need full sunlight to stimulate seed sprouting and seedling growth, uh, when dealing with sparse or exposed shallow rooted trees that are in danger of being damaged by wind, uh, when trying to produce an even age stand, and a stand I found is a group of trees that are the same species, age, and condition that you can manage as a unit. That's a stand of trees. Okay. Uh, when regenerating stands of tree species that are dependent on wind-blown seed, root suckers or cones that need fire to drop seed, when faced with salvaging over mature stands or stands killed by insects, disease, or fire, uh, when converting to another tree species by planting or seeding, and finally, to provide habitat for wildlife species that require edge, new ground, and high density, even age stands. I couldn't make sense out of any of that. Well, one of it really stuck out to me, and it was that it, 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 for when you're cutting down an entire area that's been hit by pests or disease, that one makes sense to me, especially if you're trying to contain an epidemic. Yeah. Sure, clear cut. That makes sense. Everything else, I mean, it, 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 there were some. there's some logic to it. At least it's not just total madness. Yeah, opponents to clear cutting will say it uh, increases soil erosion, water degradation, uh, increases silt in streams and rivers. Um, aesthetics is the main reason that most people are opposed to it. Yeah, or that many people are. Sure, is that it just looks like a wasteland. Right. Well, the problem is also with clear cutting, um, it sets the stage for invasive species of say like fast growing weeds to overcome seedlings yeah. and it, it keeps the forest from regenerating. Yeah. So therefore clear cutting, most people, I guess, except for the people who came up with those seven conditions tend to believe that is it's an unsustainable method of harvesting timber. Right. Uh, a more sustainable method uh, is shelter wood cutting. That's a type of silviculture. Yeah. And that's when they use partial cuttings over time. We're talking over 10 or 20 years, only two to four harvests. Uh, where things can naturally regenerate during that time frame. Right. That sounds like a good idea. It is. Um, there's also seed tree cut, seed, uh, seed tree harvesting and then, uh, selection harvesting, which is where you basically go in and say this tree, uh, that tree, that tree. Yeah, for, that are more marketable. But opponents or proponents of clear cutting say that's worse. I don't know why though. I can see. I yeah. can see what they're saying. I mean, like, think about it. Like, you're Maybe like artificially selecting, yeah, yeah, and you're you're disrupting the balance or the ecology of the forest by saying just these great oaks, leave all these other crummy elms. Yeah, but the thing is, is you're also affecting the ecology by cutting down everything. Yeah, the ecosystem. I would like to hear from someone that really knows their stuff that is a proponent of clear cutting to. Explain it better to me yeah, okay. than the internet did. Please do. All right. Um, so when you do what when you do use any kind of silvicultural technique, uh, and you're not just clear cutting, you have to go through the the forest and figure out what trees you're going to take. A lot of times, and even with clear cutting, they will leave 
um, trees that are, say, six inches in diameter yeah. or less in size, they're too young. It's like how you um, leave uh, fawns when you're deer hunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Uh, I love the name of that process when determining um, and surveying the land to work it all out. It's called cruising. It is. I'm going to go cruise the forest. Right. Everybody, you know, drives around the forest <laughs> yeah. with the pack of cigarettes rolled up in their shirt sleeves. Um, next comes felling. <laughs> and I got confused with tree felling in the correct way, so I put a little post on Facebook. And I had a guy named Gabriel Fribley who worked as a Forest Service fire and fuel management dude. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've cut hundreds, if not thousands of trees. So you want to hear what he says? Yeah. Because we would screw it up, I guarantee it. Okay. Are you about to say that you know better than this guy? I don't know <laughs> better than this guy, but this this article was definitely wrong from everything I found. Yeah, that's exactly why I asked. Uh, he said terminology changes depending on where you are and uh, who you're talking to. There are a number of different ways to do so, but the safest and most common is to cut a wedge out of a tree, measure about a third of the diameter of the measuring about a third of the diameter of the tree in the direction you want the tree to fall. Then you that's where I would just stop. <laughs> yeah, my, my brain just shut down. Yeah. Uh, then you, uh, cutting this wedge <laughs> will require two cuts, a flat cut and then a sloping cut that meets the flat cut and frees the wedge. Uh, the combination of these two cuts is commonly called the face cut. Okay, so then the bat is on the side of the tree in the direction it's going to fall. Correct. And it's like a triangle. Yes. With one, one the bottom cut is 90 degrees, the top cut is 45 degrees. I think so. Okay. Uh, the uh, the wedge acts as a hinge, so the tree falls in a safe, controlled manner. Then there's the third cut, most commonly called the back cut, okay. which is a straight cut in the opposite side of the tree, about halfway through the diameter of the tree, maybe a little more. And that's about two inches above the bottom cut on the other side. Okay. From what I saw. Uh, and he said, ideally, you want to leave 20% of the diameter of the tree intact between the back cut and the wedge, and that's called holding wood. And I think he said holding wood is just what it sounds like. It holds the tree together to make, like, it's not coming down on your head, basically. Mm-hmm. It holds it together until you're ready. And he said if you've done these two correctly, three actually, you should be able to simply push the tree over with your hands. Wow. Or drive a wedge into the back to bring the tree down. I'll bet that's pretty awesome to push a huge tree down Heck with yeah. your hands. And yell timber? Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Gabriel uh, Gabriel Fribley. Yeah, thanks, that. Gabriel. And for firefighting forest fires. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Or starting them. Oh, come on. No, the Forestry Service does control burns. Oh, yeah, I thought you meant like, because there have been cases where they've found arson uh-huh. and, it, and it was actually a fireman. Or his mother. A firefighter. Do you remember that? No. There was a, a dude who was a wildfire firefighter who was not getting enough work because oh, that, there weren't many I think wildfires. that's what I was thinking. Was it the mom? The mom went and set a fire. So that her son could make some money. God bless her. Not really, but, you know, the mom that just wants to, like, take care of business for her son. Right. That's nice. So, Chuck, um, you've gone through, you've cut a bunch of trees. Yep. Uh, the first thing the loggers do is they hop all over the trees and go, hip, 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 and they cut all the la- the limbs off. Yes. Right? That's called bucking. Yep. And then once you've got the tree bucked, you cut it into huge logs Yep. from top to bottom. And then you tie the logs up or you chain them to a tractor and you skid them along a skidding trail. That's right. To um, what's called the uh, landing 
area. All right. And they pre-plan these skidding trails. Yeah, this is very important. It's not just willy-nilly. Uh, because they are trying to protect the forest at the same time. Yeah, because if you have a bunch of tractors driving out with lots and lots of heavy logs, yeah. heavy, heavy logs yeah. attached to them, you're going to compact the soil. Like this was a tree 10 minutes ago. Right. Now it's a log. Yes, huge logs. And so um, if you're going to compact some area of soil, you might as well just compact the same area of soil rather than a bunch of areas of soil. So yeah. that. The rest of the forest can stay healthy. And when you get to the landing area, these logs are going to be basically graded and sorted. And some of them are either going to be sent straight to the uh, pulp mills to be created into paper. Those are crudier logs, generally. Right. Or fiberboard or something like that. And then um, others may be sent, and the higher grade stuff will probably be sent to um, sawmills. Right. Or concentration yards. Right. Which are basically the second stage of these landing areas where um, these people say, we're going to put all these this specific species of trees over here yeah. because this one sawmill likes only oaks, so we're going to send them their oaks. Right. So either the landing area goes directly to sawmill or there's that extra step of the concentration yard in there. Yeah, and if this sounds dangerous, um, <laughs> yeah. it is. And depending on what year you're looking at, logging uh, is either the one or two aside from commercial fishing, most dangerous job in the United States, at least. Either way, you can find documentary television shows about these professions <laughs> yeah, on can. Discovery Channel. That's right. Check and, your local list. And other channels. Um, this past year, I think it was commercial fishing. Airline pilot was number three. I find that very unnerving. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, I thought planes didn't crash much. What's up with that? I don't know. Well, and my fear of flying just came back. Uh, farmers and uh, ranchers are four, in case you're wondering. Mining machine operator, then roofers, sanitation collectors, which I thought was interesting. Are you sure it's not like military jet pilot? Dude, soldier wasn't even listed in the top ten. An airline pilot. But, like I said, I think they go by deaths in that previous year. I don't care. So it probably depends on if we're at war or, you know. Okay, but airline pilot was yeah, still in there. it was, dude. Uh, and then truckers and industrial machinists. Especially ice road truckers. <laughs> probably. Yeah, for real. I'm sure among truckers that they probably have the higher mortality rate. Well, you were shilling for Discovery. I think that was on history. Oh, okay. You're shilling more for Discovery now than when they owned it, <laughs> which is weird. It is weird. What do you think Podcaster is? Podcaster? Pretty uh, cushy, <laughs> unless like, apparently you're on a commercial airline. Like a one in 10 million chance of death? Yes. If you're a podcaster? An on, no on-the-job death? I'm really, you know, we could figure that out if we knew what math was. I don't, I could, I'm trying to think if, like, how we would die from doing this. Flying somewhere to do a live podcast, probably. Right. I would say if somebody locked the door and Jerry started a fire in here. Right. Then we could probably die from podcasting. Or actually, in our case, it would be if Jerry finally snaps and just murders us both. I don't know. I think we could <laughs> fend Jerry off. So, Chuck, um, once this stuff hits the sawmill, we'll yeah. go there. We already kind of hit the pulp mill. Yeah. Which stink, by the way. One of the foulest smells on earth is Are those, paper uh, make, yeah. like the, uh, can I just say egg fart? No, <laughs> way worse than that. Oh, I thought it was like that real sulfury smell, no? That's well water down in Florida. Okay. This is like, it's its own smell. All right. You've surely smelled it before. You ever been to a chicken farm? 
That's a okay. You're right. That's, that's the, not funny. That either. might be the worst smell of all. <laughs> Didn't you used to work on chicken farms doing software or something? Yeah, not on farms. Oh, okay. But but other people in our company would go to the farms and like Man. teach them how to use the software. It smells so bad. Which is imagine that job going teaching these uh, people that have been like literally counting chicken heads for their entire life. <laughs> teach them how to use the computer to do it. Yeah, they were not receptive many times. Talk about hunting and pecking. Yeah, there was a lot of hunting and pecking. So, um, at the at the uh, sawmill, right? Yeah. When you're cutting up, well, when you're when you get a bunch of logs, you're like, these are some good logs. Yeah. But I can't do much with this bark. It can use mulch, that kind of thing. Sure. And actually, bark. I didn't realize this. Bark represents basically one of two organs of the tree. Yeah, There's we, actually three. Should we talk about the inside of a tree a little bit? Yeah, I thought this was interesting. Yeah, me too. So so the bark is the phloem. It's the sugar-conducting cells. Phloem. Phloem. <laughs> and and basically it just provides energy. It transfers energy throughout the tree. Yeah, it's like the internal piping part of it is the phloem. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's that one Bugs Bunny song it, it makes, like, you know, that Bugs Bunny assembly line song? That oh, I yeah. I remember the totally. powerhouse Power uh, something. Yeah, yeah. So that's the sound that that makes if you listen very carefully in a forest. <laughs> True. Uh, there's another set of internal piping, uh, the tissue called the xylem, uh, and they carry the xylem carries the water up and down the tree. Right. And they are well suited to do so because they are like pipes. They are shaped like piping. Right. So the phloem. Phloem. That's bark. Yeah. The xylem, that's the wood inside. And in between the two, you have a thin layer that's basically stem cells. It's called the cambium. Yes. And the cambium produces phloem and um, xylem cells. And it produces xylem cells inward, right? Yeah. So the stuff, the part of the tree that's closest to the bark is also the youngest. Yeah, the heartwood. No, oh, that's, no, 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 that's the, in the, the center. Yeah. The deep, yeah, that's the sapwood. It, further inside, deeper into the tree, that's the older xylem. And that's the heartwood. It's just the oldest part of the tree. Yes. And you, when the, a log gets to the sawmill, they're going to basically separate those two things because there's different uses for sapwood and for heartwood. But the first thing they're going to do is get rid of the bark. Yeah, they put it uh, uh, in a debarking drum, and it's, it's kind of like a nightclub. It just kind of everything rubs together. Yeah, they put a, a, several different logs in and let the logs rub their own bark off of one another. Yeah, they put on a little music. It's pretty horrific Maybe if you a foam think of machine. it like you're a tree. And uh, all of a sudden, you have a naked tree. <laughs> right. You know? Strip the skin right off of it. Then that bark can become uh, mulch and uh, what else? Oh, f- fuel. Fuel? Pretty much it. Okay. Decorative mulch and fuel. <laughs> but the once you've got that naked log, you're all set. So you want to cut the, um, the sapwood from the heartwood because the, the heartwood is extraordinarily strong and you use it for... Posts and timbers and beams and things like that that you really are going to put a, a lot of weight on. Yeah, flooring sometimes. Uh, right, sometimes. And actually, there's another article I read once about this, um, like uh, this commercial diving company down in like central Florida. Yeah. That their whole job was they would go down in the swamp and um, like raise old cypress logs. Oh yeah. From the 19th century that have just been down there since then. Yeah. And. Um, they sell them as like reclaimed original, like heart of cypress for flooring. 
people pay mind-boggling amounts for oh, I'm because sure. this this log was felled, you know, a hundred something years ago, yeah. and it just sank. It happened to be one of the ones that sank, and they couldn't do anything with it back then. There were so many cypress trees that they just didn't even bother with those. So now these guys go down and dive and identify them and raise them up and then sell them. That junk is heavy. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that perfect time to mention my buddy Jason from Damcaster Guitars. Uh-huh. He built me a custom Telecaster replica, nice. and they used uh, old wood from a dam in Georgia that had been underwater for like a hundred years. That's really cool. And this thing is—it's the heaviest guitar. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's tough on my back. Is it? Is yeah. it worth it though? Yeah, man. It's—I mean—it's gorgeous. And the wood they get is really just heavy and dense and gorgeous wood. And they got this big load of it from a dam that they uh, tore down in, I think, Columbus, Georgia. And so they've got all this wood now that they're making these sweet guitars out of. Would you name your guitar? Uh, I haven't named it. I don't really name my guitars, although yeah. he wanted me to. Yeah. you got to name your guitar. I, don't know. I got four guitars. They're one through four. No. <laughs> <laughs> you should name one Joni and one Chachi at least. All right. And one. And always uh, keep them right next to each other. And one uh, Fonzie and one. Uh, Ralph Mouth. Now, who was Fonzie's uh, leather leather Tuscadero? <laughs> yeah, Pinky Tuscadero. Well, they're sisters. So was Pinky the younger sister? I think Leather was the one that looked like Joan Jett, and Pinky oh, was the one that looked like a, a bombshell model, like had the you know the pink sweaters and the the big poofy hair. So he, which one did he date? I think he dated uh, Pinky. Okay. Leather, she she didn't need guys. She was. She oh, was she a rock was and roller. T- I think I remember who you're talking about. Yeah, she was- I don't remember Pinky Tuscadero. I definitely remember Leather Tuscadero. Yeah. Man, whoever wrote that show was a genius. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what they're doing is they're satisfying everyone. They're like, you like the ladies rough and tumble, or you like them dressed up in pink <laughs> with, like, poofy hair? Right. Do you like them with an Italian name? <laughs> right. Uh, where are we? Have we debarked? Uh, we're in, like, yeah, 1950s Milwaukee. Right. Yes, we have debarked to answer your question. Okay, so we've debarked. You got a naked log. If it's going to be paper, it's going to go to a chipper, which uh, cuts the log into little little squares, uh, about two inches uh, by a quarter of an inch thick. And they're going to mix those chips up with chemicals and stuff. They're going to uh, put it in a digester. It's a big pressure cooker, mm-hmm. and that is what separates that cellulose from the uh, lignin that we talked about earlier to right. get your pulp. Yeah. Just want to get that lignin out of there. Yeah, and it's wet, it's fibrous. Uh, they bleach it to the proper shade, uh, mix it with water again, form it into big mats, and then press them under these incredible rollers to press out all that water. Right. And, and then there you go. You've got what will be paper. Right, and if you're making lumber, you uh, send your um, your log to the um, Scooby-Doo head rig is what it's called. Yeah, man, those things are awesome. The thing that people are always tied on going toward? Oh, yeah, sort of. And just cuts the log in half, or it cuts the edges off and maybe like just cuts out the heart. Yeah, just sort of roughs it out. Right, and then you have um, a couple of other types of saws. There's a trimmer that squares the ends, and before that you have an edger, which creates the, um, well, the edges for your lumber. Yeah. And then, of course, there's a whole other process involved in making round wood, a.k.a. posts. Which are not lumber. Evidently. Uh, your heartwood is going to be um, older, obviously, because you know how you can tell a tree by the rings, those inner rings that we talked about, right. the xylem. Right, and as the cambium is creating more xylem cells, 
they're going on the outside of the heartwood. Yeah. Um, and the tree is growing outward. And there, there's going to be more knots in that heartwood, too, uh, from, Which is, so from it's, branches past. It's sturdier, but a lot of people would also be like, I don't want to see knots. So they're not going to use it for yeah, things. Yeah, or like, I do want to see knots. Yeah. Depending on what you're doing. Sickos. Like a good knot in the right place. For instance, my guitar has a beautiful knot in the center of the back that's just gorgeous. Joni? <laughs> no, that... Uh, I would call this one uh, Pinky Tuscadero, I think. Okay, so that's Pinky Tuscadero. <laughs> or wait, no, maybe Leather Tuscadero. Leather Tuscadero. Yeah. Uh, but I actually looked up knots. I was like, wait, what is a knot? Not even thinking. Well, of course, it's just a former branch. Oh, I didn't think about that either. Yeah, it's either a branch base or a, a branch bud that never happened. Huh. Do you know, not only did I not think that that's what a knot was, I didn't even think to think what a knot was. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And the last part of that process is you got to dry this stuff out. So you stack it up, sort it out, and you dry it in a kiln. Correct? Yeah. All right. It's so, like you made something out of clay. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, man. And then we'll take it home. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that, it's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. Well, the pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, as everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members. And we think they've appreciated it, too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise. That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You got that straight. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter. Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive. 
from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. So, Chuck, you kind of mentioned like early conservation folks that you um, were in awe of. John Muir, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, John Muir was cool weirdo. Yeah. Um, and th- these people, they reacted to this rampant um, deforestation that was going on. Like there was a significant amount of logging that happened between the 17th century and the mid-19th century. Yeah, up to 30% of the original forest land by the end of the Civil War was gone. Yeah, and we're talking about a billion acres that was originally there. So 30% of that gone, right? Unbelievable. And there was what was called a, um, they were worried that there was going to be a, a, quote, national famine of wood. Yeah. And it wasn't just conservation at the time. Like plastics had not been developed. Sure. Um, cheap, easy metal alloys weren't developed until, say, the mid 20th century, right? Yeah. So we uh, like, used was, wood. Yeah, we really used wood a lot. Yeah. And for also for fuel, for cooking, for heating, all that stuff. Sure. We needed wood, so th- it was going to be a big deal if we ran out of wood. And as a result, a lot of people got behind these conservation efforts, um, and especially the government here in the United States. Yeah. Um, all government levels own forest land. Um, but for the most part, the federal government owns the most. Yes. And they don't just protect it and say, this is off limits. They say, uh, you guys can come and pay for the right to cut down some uh, trees from here, but you're, you're going to follow our rules. Yeah, 323 million acres of federally owned land in this country is public forest land. Yeah. So either like national forest or I guess to be used by the logging industry if you meet the right conditions, I guess. Yeah, but I think even national forests fall under the that that umbrella as well. Yeah, I didn't mean there. Yeah, that they were not the same. What what does happen sometimes um, is, say, an animal will be placed, an animal that calls forest land or timberland its home, will be placed on the endangered list, and as a result of that, the forest industry will just completely shift. And that was the case with the Mexican spotted owl in the 90s. Yeah, what what happened to that guy? So the Mexican spotted owl was on its way to becoming extinct. Yeah. And it made its home in the west, the western softwood temperate forests, right? And um, the U.S. government decided that this was enough of a problem that they put it on the endangered species list and protected it. And that meant that its habitat was protected, which meant that all of this public land that all these logging companies used to go and log on, yeah. they, they couldn't log there anymore. A lot of, they did not like that decision. No, they didn't. It was enormous. Yeah. Um, and you know that the, a federal agency is doing its job when it's being sued by conservationists and logging companies, right? Yeah. At the same time over the same thing. Sure. Um, so, or else they're not doing their job at all, right. depending on how you look at it. But eventually, the Mexican spotted owl um, was protected, and its habitat was protected. And so the the forestry, the timber industry, shifted eastward. Yeah. And so they, 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 there was a shift not just in direction on the continent, but also in where they were taking timber from. Right. So now, more timber is taken from privately held lands in the east than 
public held lands in the West because of the Mexican, because of this one type of owl. Right. Completely changed the, the complexion of the timber industry in the United wow. States. But the timber industry is doing just fine. Yeah. You know, and it's a real, it's a real testimony that like, they, it both. can adapt. Yeah. You know? You the, see- the Mexican spotted owl can adapt, but the timber right. <laughs> industry can apparently. Uh, you ever see owls in Atlanta? Yeah, I have before. Boy, they're amazing. I love owls. Gorgeous. And that wingspan, it's like, it's remarkable when yeah. you see one fly. Yes. It's like, whoa, that looks, that's bigger than most birds. Yeah. Have you ever had one like perch outside of your window while you're trying to sleep? Yeah. Well, I've got, we have one that lives behind our house. Does it keep you up? No, we've seen it a couple of times and we hear it a lot, mm-hmm. which I, I love. It doesn't like wake me up or anything. Oh, we had one that was keeping us awake. Really? Mm-hmm. You shoot it? No. No. I just went out and shined a flashlight in its general direction. Yeah. And it piped down. Never heard from it again. Oh, wow. So he got the message. Gotcha. And we were owlless after that. He's like, that guy with the flashlight, he's bad news. Right. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. <laughs> he means business. Um, all right. So the, the federal government owns a lot of land, which is managed, uh, managed, managed by, um, some different, uh, bodies. Um, but it's, you know, they try and do their best job with things like the, Healthy Forest Restoration Act, uh, signed in 2003 by G.W. Bush uh, right. <clears throat> to help uh, protect forest land. So, Chuck, it's about here, though, that, like, this is when I was like, I feel like we're really wading into unexplained territory. A dark forest? Yeah, there's a lot of, like, I suspect a lot of greenwashing going on. And um, so I started poking around. Yeah. And I, I found that the um, Sustainable Forestry Initiative is very frequently accused of greenwashing. The SFI. Yeah. So you know how like um like fair trade, like you'll look for a fair trade label and you'll yeah. be like, I'm going to pay a little more for this because I believe that the people who made it were paid a better wage than, right. you know, this competitor that wasn't fair trade. That's what the Sustainable Forestry Initiative seal of approval was meant for. Okay. That you could look for it on like a ream of paper or something and say, Oh, well, this thing was, um, this paper was harvested using, say, shelter cutting techniques or some sort of silvicultural techniques yeah. that, cr- that promotes sustainable forestry. Okay. The thing is, is, um, there's some other groups, say, like Forest Ethics is a nonprofit kind of watchdog group that has come out and really aggressively said that the, um, the Sustainable Forestry Initiative is basically just a greenwashing front operation really? that's funded by paper companies. By it was International Paper. International is that Paper. The big one? Um, uh, yeah, there were a couple of others that well, I think Weyerhaeuser was one maybe uh-huh. um, that that fund this this um, approval company or, or organization. So is it BS? From what I can tell, really, it looks that way. Um, and yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's very disconcerting. Fortunately, there are some that do appear to be utterly legitimate. And the chief among them is the, uh, Forest Stewardship Council. Okay. They do the same thing, but they're the real deal. So this article you sent me, the, there are a lot of major brands dumping the SFI. I saw that and I was like, well, that's terrible. But they're moving to the better standard. Is that correct? That's the impression I have. Okay. Uh, that makes sense now. Yeah, rather than bearing the SFI seal of approval, uh-huh. like um, or buying paper that bears that seal of approval, because it's not even necessarily the paper companies that are doing this, because they're the ones funding the SFI. Right. It's like Office Depot is no longer buying SFI sourced paper. Okay. I, I'm guessing they're probably going with the FSC, the Forest Stewardship Council. So Hewlett Packard, AT and T, um, 
Pitney Bowls, Allstate. They buy a lot of paper. Shouting them out. Right. Because they're doing the right thing, it sounds like. Yeah. That makes more sense. I was confused. I thought they were dropping the SFI, which was a good thing. But, the, yeah, this is all clear now. Right. Thank you. Hey, don't thank me. Thank Forest Ethics, <laughs> who apparently routinely get cease and desist letters from uh, paper companies and the forest or the uh, sure. f- uh, sustainable forestry initiative. Um, and then, Chuck, uh, the the Forest Service itself is often criticized for being in bed with um, the timber industry. I'm sure. There, that Alaska thing I was teasing earlier. Yeah, yeah. What is it? There is something called the Big Thorn Timber Sale. 6,000 acres, 6,200 acres of 700-year-old forest Ooh. in the Tongass in southern Alaska. Up for sale for clear cutting. Wow. Clear cutting. And the, the problem is, is like, an old growth forest. Uh, yes, it is. That's exactly right. Um, the problem is, is not just that people are worried that the forest won't recover, but that this forest is also used by other industries like fishing industry, right? Um, tourism industry. Yeah. Uh, these people are like, um, we're using this acreage. Can't just come, come in and cut it down. Right. Here's a couple of lawsuits to stop that sale. And, uh, I guess a federal judge in 2015, I think March ruled. Nope. Go ahead. You're well within your rights. Wow. Maybe disgusting, but go ahead and sell 6,200 acres of old-growth forest in Alaska for clear-cutting. With the presumption that it will go to a logging company? Yes. You'd be great as if, like, oh, I don't know, Warren Buffett bought it. (laughs) Right. Said, I'm going to build a small house in the middle of it, and that's it. That guy should wear a cape. (laughs) So, um... Deforestation is a thing, and I agree with you. We should definitely do an episode just on that, right? Yeah. But that's not the only threat to um, the the forests of the world. No. It, it is a serious threat, but sure. man-made threats are not the only threats. No, there's a few more natural threats. Um, insects, of course, uh, specifically invasive species like the Eurasian gypsy moth came here in the 19th century, and when it's a caterpillar, it... Eats the leaves of hardwood trees, yes. like a lot of them. Yeah, um, to the tune of uh, since 1930, defoliated more than 80 million acres. That is so many of trees. East Coast forest. Yeah, 80 million acres just on the East Coast. This little caterpillar. Yeah. So that's an insect uh, disease is a problem. Um, I know here in Georgia we've uh, sudden oak death is a big problem. Yeah, uh, and since. It was originated in 19, or I guess found in 1955. 95. Discovered. What'd I say? 55. Oh. A full 40 years after that. 95. Yeah. I remember when this happened. It was probably Clinton's fault. It was Clinton's fault. Um, since then, it's killed more than 1 million oak trees. Yeah. That's no gypsy moth, but that's a lot. No. Um, and then, lastly, invasive species are a real problem. Kudzu. That was the other one I want to do. Yeah, Oh, you want to do one on kudzu? Heck yeah. So um, kudzu is a great example of an invasive species. It's a non-native, fast-growing vine that in, I think it's native Japan, has plenty of natural predators that like to eat it. Sure. Right? Um, Here in the United States, in the southeastern United States, where it was given as a gift by Japanese businessmen in the 30s, um, it doesn't have any natural predators, and it just grows like crazy. Oh, yeah. And the problem is, is it grows up and over trees and creates its own. It uses the tree structure, and then creates its own canopy around it. Amazing. It basically creates a Dyson sphere 
yeah. around a tree. Yeah. To, 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 but it, it, it's, it's a reverse Dyson sphere. Right. It's accepting the sun from the outside rather than harvesting it from the inside. Tree death is what it means. I know. Don't you hate seeing that? Like, I just yeah. like shake my fist at, at kudzu. Like, get off of that tree. Just, just stay on the ground. But do you ever take time to go out there and with your scissors, Josh? Yes. And cut it off that tree? Very frequently. <laughs> Um, mile a minute weed is another good example, apparently, uh, another Asian import that has choked the mid-Atlantic region. I guess the lesson here is if, uh, an Asian business person ever gives you a non-native plant as a gift. Smile politely. Say thank you very much. Uh-huh. Also, don't make eye contact. All right. And say thank you very much, but I cannot accept this gift. But would you like to go have a lovely sushi meal? Nice. You got anything else? I got nothing else. So that is Timber. If you want, go type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this coolest tattoo I've seen in a while. Uh, Hey, guys, listen to Satanic Panic uh, today, and I loved it. I love that episode, by the way. That's a good one. Yeah, we got some good feedback. Jerry's even nodding. She hates most of what we do. She's not even aware of most of what we do. (laughs) Uh, she was born in 1982, this writer, and she says, I remember uh, family members talking about parts of our home state of Kentucky uh, that were lousy with Satan worshipers. Uh, one of the things I liked best in the episode was when we talked about the influence uh, works of fiction had on superstition. It made me think of how I've encountered this in my own life. I have a great love of Ouija boards. And in fact, I don't think she's heard the episode on Ouija boards because she didn't reference it. Oh, that was a good episode. So, too. Carrie, we did an episode on that. You should listen to it. Uh, I think they are pretty, and have uh, I have great memories of playing with one as a kid. I have quite a few at home, um, including I have quite a few Ouija board items, including a tattoo on my chest. And she attached a photo. She's got like the upper uh, lettering of the Ouija board, like right across, like under her neckline at the top of her chest, on her sternum. Yeah, it, huh. and it, like when she wears like a a, a dress. With that exposed, right. it's just lovely looking. Like cool. that font and everything. Yeah. I saw the photo and I thought it was really cool looking. Nice. But, of course, she's, people are going to say, like, what's up with this girl? Yeah. She's you into know? Ouija boards. Uh, this has led to some very interesting conversations, of course, with people. A lot of people really like it, like me, but some have been a little freaked out by it. Uh, thanks to movies like The Exorcist and, more recently, Ouija, <laughs> uh, the Ouija board has been given a lot more power, and I feel that it really deserves. I've had my tattoo for over a year and have not noticed any paranormal activity surrounding me, and I've not been possessed, and I've not had a demon use my chest as a doorway to our world. Yes. So I think I will be okay. We'll see. Uh, keep up the great work. That is from Carrie, uh, parentheses, like the movie. <laughs> A lot of uh, horror movie references in that. Yeah, I thought it was a very cool tattoo. Nice, man. Um, well, uh, Carrie, right? That's right. Okay, thanks a lot, Carrie, for writing in. And uh, if you want to write to us, you can join us on Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, 
No microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richards Rainwater. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. 